episode 281 of the global from asia podcast we are talking about the old ebay and the new amazon and some of the history and different insights which are pretty interesting let's listen in Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Greetings, I am in Taipei, Taiwan right now at the Mox Accelerator, here mentoring some amazing startups uh, in cross-border and mobile apps, sharing a course about content creation and more. Actually, we're going to have some good episodes coming up in the future that i'm recording here but of course we got a little bit of a backlog of amazing interviews already done while in these events in the last uh, month so one of them is brandon dupski at backdashtrack.com this guy is an e-commerce uh forever gladiator <laughs> he, he actually bought my print book got a picture with him but he i should be buying his books this guy has been doing e-commerce since the 90s has done so many different different um ebay and website and amazon and he's um truly do does um has so much insight so there's so much we could have talked about and we decided to talk a little bit about his experience early seller on ebay scaling up crashing down learning reflecting what he's what has seen change from ebay days to amazon days some things about the future chinese sellers coming into the market a lot of different interesting things and um, it was fun. It was a really fun interview. We did it in person in Hong Kong at a Global Sources Summit, and he was a speaker there. And I am really happy to be able to share his his story here. Afterwards, we'll we'll share some of my eBay days, my experiences starting on my eBay business. Or I also had an East Web Store too. I'll do that in a blah 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 section after the interview. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Cross Border Summit was an amazing fourth annual in Guangzhou this past October and we have great feedback and if I can be honest we have so many different options we're still collecting feedback from people this is we always try to do is listen to what people want should we stay in Guangzhou go back to Shenzhen some people even say Hong Kong Thailand people want in Philippines and then there's Colombia still thinking about the dates and uh, the format I'm thinking about bringing it back to my new home base in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Love to hear from you. www.crossbordersummit.com Hit the contact button, fill out the form, and let us know what you think. Or just stay tuned for updates. We do love it, and people love it too. So hope to see you at the next one, Cross Border Summit. All right, thank you everybody for tuning in to the Global From Asia podcast. We're here in the right in the center of Hong Kong. Well, a little bit outside the center near the airport, Asia World Expo for the Global Sources Summit. I got a pleasure to meet Brandon Dupski from Backtrack, which does return processing for Amazon sellers and e-commerce sellers in the US. And it's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great, it's great, it's great. Um, yeah, so you just had a great presentation. I think people really received it well, and you um, obviously you've spoke. You've had so much experience in e-commerce since eBay days, and I was also an eBay seller. And I thought it'd be cool to share some of your your journey. I think uh, from then till now, what you've seen trends and and uh, everything. But maybe you can give me, give us a high level background of yourself. 
before we dive in? Okay, yeah, we could talk all day about my history <laughs> since it's so long, yeah, but we'll try lot. to stick I, to I the feel exciting similar, stuff. similar, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, my background? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe your t title and... Sure. Uh, my background is, is I've had 21 years of experience of e-commerce, and I've been started in 1998, a lot the same way as everybody else. You um, go out and find stuff at thrift stores and things like that, and then you sell it on eBay. But back then, it was the wild, wild west. People think it's the wild, wild west today. It's nothing like it was 21 years ago. I can imagine. Yeah. You can sell anything and make a buck. You can make a lot of bucks. So it was fun. It was fun. Um, okay. But before that, I was in the logistics and operations business. Right. Yeah, I got my got my um, business degree. Then I got my MBA. Was working uh, in the logistics operations side of things. So that gave me uh, visibility of the pain points of surplus inventory okay. and um, how companies just don't have a solution for that. So my first business was actually a solution for these guys to sell surplus inventory. And that's how I built my business called Sell to All back in the early days. I remember that one even. Yeah, we would buy, I would buy truckloads of surplus or get it on consignment. And we would just sell all that stuff on eBay back in the day. Okay. And then from there, I grew fast. I mean, I can keep going. Yeah, I think we'll maybe we'll get into that. Okay. But, yeah, so you, I think eBay, I, I told you I was in 04, I kind of fell into it. I, I got into stores online. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was when it was back of the hotel room sales pitches. I they, remember those, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a blessing in disguise. Maybe a lot of people kind of got burned getting pressure. It was kind of high pressure sales. And I went with my roommate, my hometown friend. We grew up together, Andrew. And we, uh, we went in with an open mind and we got hard sold to it. This program was like a few thousand dollars over financing and stuff. It was mm -hmm. a Utah company. And we had no idea what to sell. Mm -hmm. And they're like, just drop ship. You can just drop ship. Just get a store, do some Google ads. I don't know if it was penny bids or nickel bids at the time on Google ads and just do... Uh, they had some DVDs in the mail. You'd have like DVDs to watch how to do paid ads. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but um, we just learned by just yeah, like you said, making tons of mistakes. But I think probably that's the way. I even is that still the way now? I mean, maybe it's a little bit different now. Can you just throw yourself? I mean, there's 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 two problems. I think there's one. Some people go too early with not knowing anything. Then there's the other person that's Very frozen, true. the frozen by data analysis paralysis. Or Very just, true. So I feel like there's these two different ends of people you probably know and I know that jump in without knowing anything and lose money. And there's the other guys that are just never ready and never do it. Yep, they're afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. And so they're maybe not entrepreneurs, but they want to be. You know? Yeah. So back in the day, there was no education. Mm -hmm. So we just had to make mistakes. We just we were pioneering you know, and making a ton of mistakes, but that's the only way you could learn. So you yeah. just trial and error. But there was a lot of room to make mistakes because the profits were so much higher back then, you could make a lot of mistakes and still survive. Nowadays, there's, it's the opposite. It's the opposite in the spectrum where there's hundreds and hundreds of courses. Yes. And there's just too much information out there. Some of it's out of date, some of it's not quite accurate. Some of it's from experienced sellers, but some of it's from not so experienced sellers. And so I think the challenge today is there's overwhelming information and really there's no one secret on how to do this. And so there, if there was, then there would only be one course. Yeah. <laughs> and so all of this types of information and types of strategies confuses people. True. So then they don't know what to do. And they, you know, if they don't have you know, a, a risk-taking type of a mentality, they're, not, they're, not, they're, they're too afraid to take risks, and they're never going to move far. You know, these courses aren't really helping them. 
True. I think usually what I said, even at, during lunch during, during the summer here in Global Sources, is uh, you should maybe take a small calculated risk of how much you're willing to lose. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe not garlic presses, but something that's maybe a low price items, low MOQ. And you just learn the, pr- learn the process, right? You know, maybe it could be the same price as a course or Absolutely. education. Yeah, I, I always tell people your number one investment in e-commerce is inventory. Yep. Um, you can buy courses, but they don't make you money. They, t- you know, they they maybe help you educate you, but they don't make you money. Inventory, you can always recover some of your money. Yep. So your number one investment in e-commerce business is typically inventory. Whether mm-hmm. it's a bad inventory buy or a good inventory buy, still you can get some money. Then the second thing I always tell people is, you're right, don't risk more than you can ever lose. And so when you take those risks, if you're starting off, then you can't lose much if you don't have much, right? So take small risks, just like you said. And then as you grow, you can take bigger risks, but never risk more than you can lose. Exactly. So let's go back to the old days. Yeah, so I think back then people weren't taking the these opportunities so there's always a risk reward so there was higher margins there was less people maybe doing it but there was no education online and they always move glasses when I'm recording (laughs) (laughs) but I think eBay was I don't know about you but I kind of prefer MySpace and eBay over Facebook and Amazon but I because I could be more creative with my listing, mm-hmm. or I could be more creative with my profile. Like I, I learned HTML a little bit more with, in CSS with MySpace profiles, because you could creative eBay. Yeah. MySpace. So so back then you had to use software. I told you I used Octiva the other day. Yep. And yep. I knew. We that. are uh, could try to standardize the listings, but it was almost like throwing stuff up there. Like almost the picture didn't need to be as good. The bar was much lower, right? I mean, I think I I did a lot of photos myself in dimly lit home apartments. And uh, I even use that for long-term repeating sales of ongoing products. Yep. But now it seems like we talked a lot about photos and listings here. So. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I would, um, you could sell stuff without a photo. Mm. All you needed was a title. You know, True. people wanted to buy it because back then the, it was it was supply constrained. I mean, I, we talk about the economics of the marketplace and and eBay and even the Internet was supply constrained and demand was high. So you had 10 people wanting to buy that one item so you could sell anything even without a photo. And you made me remember when I started doing record LP records are really big. I didn't have a digital camera, so I had a scanner. Oh, but the yeah. scanner was smaller than the record. So I had to, to scan one side. Flip the record, scan the second side, put it in paint, Microsoft Paint. Yep. Yep. Paint, put, put the two pictures together and then do the other side. And that's how I sold records. It took me forever just to get two photos True. and then titles. But yeah, um, it, was easy. it was easier then just because demand was greater than supply. Yeah, and um, supply chain, like, did you... Were you buying from overseas? Were you working domestically, wholesale? You, or you seem like you were selling other people's stuff. Like I remember there was even businesses like eBay stores, sellers that you could drive to the storefronts and dump stuff off and they would sell it for you. Drop-off stores, yep. Yeah, yep. I yeah. remember those. I mean, I could tell you a whole story on that, but um, real quick, that was when I did, I did a business plan in when I was getting my MBA. Okay. And it was, my business plan was for my business. And I took a class where you had to write a business plan. And I wrote a business plan for drop-off stores. Oh. That was my plan. And I went to this business venture. I, I did all these venture capital competitions. Nice. One of them was a prize was 5 to $10 million investment. And okay. I, 
I, I presented at this. I actually, long story short, I was I, I made it to the top eight out of a hundred companies. Nice. I was, I was close, but they told me don't do drop-off stores. They said your plan is 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 has a flaw. You're going to have all the overhead. You're not going to make a lot of money. You go do warehouses, and so they taught me one thing. They said go do warehouses and have businesses send you inventory. True. And so they actually pointed me in a better direction, and that's what I did. I went and got surplus inventory from all these companies. That was kind of the start. And then once I had to grow, I went to went to distributors and wholesalers and, and actually did the buy-sell, and then I did drop shipping. So okay. I actually went deeper and deeper in, in consignment. Okay. And I had large companies like Rubbermaid, PayPal, uh, IBM, Overstock, you know, Buy.com, sending me truckloads on consignment and selling for them. Amazing. Okay. It, yeah, those stores didn't stay around too long, so I guess it's good you didn't get into that. Which stores? Those the drop-off stores. Drop-off stores. So, long story short, when they got when they started getting funded, like they would raise fifteen million dollars, yeah. I got interested again. I was like, wait a minute, you know, this maybe there's something to this. And I had this technology built. I had seven in-house programmers, and we wrote this technology where all these drop-off stores. So I said, I don't want the real estate, but I partnered with all these mailbox places, and I said, use our software. Um, Build a drop-off. We'll have a drop-off marketing called Drop Pro, and they can use our software. So then people would go to their stores, drop it off. They would do the photographing. They would do the, the listing. All we were is a software play. So I avoided the real estate play yeah. and the overhead play, the employee play, and we just shared a cut of it with them. So I thought I had a better angle on it. But you're right. They don't get a lot of business. They don't get a lot of volume. It's not a good. It wasn't a good business model. They, a lot of them went out. You're right. Mm. I I, um, I wasn't in e-commerce, but in the 90s, I worked at Cosmo.com. Did you ever heard of that one? The K-O-Z-M-O. It was uh, DVD deliveries. DVD deliveries, okay. The no. orange Cosmonauts, they were dressed in all orange, and they'd ride around bikes in New York, L.A., like major cities in the U.S. I worked in the database programming department in 99. Delivering DVDs? <laughs> they were not just DVDs. They started to deliver Starbucks. They started okay. to deliver uh, certain gifts. Yep. But it was like delivered to you in under 24 hours. I didn't, I'd never seen that. Or maybe even under an hour. Yep. But uh, they didn't last either. I think they were one of the top 10 flops of the dot-com bubble. <laughs> they had a movie made, the dot-com bubble or something was named, they didn't use their name, but it was their company. Their company. Oh, my gosh. Insane. But, yeah, this, um, how about uh, your journey with, we're, you know, we're in Hong Kong. I don't want to say if China or not, but we're here in Asia. Um, when did you... In your e-commerce journey, get involved with Asia or China? Yeah, so you know, fast forward 2003, 2004, my eBay business was the largest company on eBay. We were in the, we were always in the top one, two, threes. Um, it was before they started selling. People started selling cars and things like that. So um, it was being at the top means everybody's wants to be in your spot, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have a huge target on your back. 2004, eBay opened up their first office in Hong Kong, and basically that turned everything upside down. It just basically changed all the economics. And um, China sellers started entering yeah. the U.S. market on eBay, and that changed my whole business. I went from growing 30% month after month after month to shrinking 30% month after month after month. And so it was a wake-up call. Instead of being domestic, now it's a e-commerce is a global environment, and I have to wake up and start becoming a global business. Mm. Um, and so 2005, I started reaching out to companies in, in Hong Kong that were selling on eBay and tried to start building relationships. And I did. I built some relationships with some of those companies. So in 2005 is when I really started thinking about Hong Kong and China. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's so many. Uh, we both have so many different stories about 
all these years, it's gonna be hard to know where how deep to dive. But but yeah, like um, I wasn't really, like I said, I only got in in '04, and I I was getting lucky. Like I just learned, like you said, I had no idea. I was shipping out of my second my seven floor walk up, six floor walk up in New York city mm-hmm. and, uh, UPS, UPS tags. I'm on the wind. My, uh, I had a, I didn't have a doorman. Mm-hmm. So I was working still mm-hmm. and they was put those UPS and I had to go to hell's kitchen and West side of New York to pick up the box yep. to send it to the customer. And I started, I had no freaking idea. I used my fraternity. Um, but then I learned about third party fulfillment in, in Oh six, I think, or maybe Oh five. Yep. And we drove it up to New York, upstate New York, use the third party fulfillment. And how about logistics for you? How did how did that, uh, you know, how does your developing of logistics, you're doing logistics now. I mean, what what was your angle in the development? So in 05, you started starting to reach out to Hong Kong eBay sellers. Were you doing services or warehousing or software? So um, no, at this point, that point, I was still selling myself, my own stuff, drop shipping, and also um, consignment for all these large companies. I mean, and, and so it was. Um, I didn't my third-party logistics things. I did have experience in that with my before eBay business because I was in the logistics. So Caterpillar Logistics was a third-party okay. provider for the company I worked for. So Got I was it. familiar with that concept beforehand, but. Um, Anyway, go 2004, 2005. Okay, I, I started reaching out to the Hong Kong businesses, but 2006, I went out of business. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's really the the, the crust of the story. And um, what I did is 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 went. I, I invested so much money on software. I invested so much money on growth because my company was growing so fast. We had such a large overhead and employees. And when China's sellers changed the economics and the supply, instead, like I said earlier, it was demand constrained and supply heavy. It flipped everything upside down, where it was demand con- or supply con- demand constrained, supply heavy. Mm. You know, now there's three people trying to get that one customer Got instead it. of the opposite, and so that was the beginning of it flipping. It was 2005, 2006, and then just continuing forward, yeah. you know, to today. So I went out of business Ouch. totally, and that, that was a nightmare. Um, you know, horrible time for me. But um, I I love e-commerce been doing it you know that was my my choice for my career my you know and I didn't want to get out of it even back then I said I'm gonna do this again I went and did consulting and then I said I'm gonna start another business and I did okay and I just took the lessons that I learned from the first time and said I'm not gonna make those mistakes again because they were costly it's the way to go right I mean I guess the true entrepreneurs is is when you hit hit the bottom you you get yourself back up Uh, I think that's that's the true test and it's 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 great to to be talking to you today and uh, the journey. So the lessons, the lessons would be. What would some of the lessons be for sellers? Well, the lessons are things change quickly, and you don't know what you're what's around the corner. And there are corners. There are a lot of corners that you don't know when the corners are going to hit you, and mm-hmm. you don't know what's around the corner. And um, for me, I was. I was feeling success over and over and over again, right? I felt invincible. And the moment you feel invincible is the moment you're not. Yeah. And so you can't find, don't, don't ever become overconfident. Don't ever believe that you can, you can solve any problem that's thrown at you, even though you've solved them all to date. Mm-hmm. And so the lessons are you're, you're just as human as everybody else. 
Okay. And and so and then also the second lesson is is I had a huge community of other sellers that just supported me. You know, I was always helping them and it was their turn to help me for a moment. And the support and the backing that I got from them when I was in a moment of need was tremendous. And that gave me the courage to start over. Mm. And so um, that was a, a key part too, is just having that community of people. Because a lot of people go out of business and they don't start over. They yeah. go get a job, you know? Mm. And I can, I can probably name, you know, a hundred people if I thought about it long enough that, that I know in this space that that's their, that's their story. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have one seller's story still in touch with him, but he was an eBay seller uh, probably around 04 or 05 when the Chinese sellers were coming on. And he used to buy MP4 players from China, from Shenzhen, and sell them on eBay. He bought, I, but he was getting kind of too confident, and he bought a container of them. Mm -hmm. And he says by the time they arrived to L.A., the same supplier listed them on eBay for the same price he paid for a whole container. He was stuck. <laughs> yeah. Stuck. <laughs> so he was, uh, yeah, hurting pretty bad. Yep. And so I started over and I realized this is a, I'm not going to make some of the mistakes that I did last time. I said, I'm not going to have, I had, you know, a ton of employees, almost 100 employees up to, you know, I'm not going to have all these people the for me cost, yeah. to me, for me to have to de depend on me, right? So I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to have a lifestyle business. I was getting older. My kids were getting older. I wanted to spend more time with them and I just wanted the freedom. And even though I had the ability to leave the business and have all these employees run it, I didn't. I wasn't free. I was, you know, stressed to my earballs, ear, my ears, not my earballs. <laughs> but um, and so this time I did. I did a lifestyle business. Work out of my house. Outsource everything. So that's when I started using a third-party warehouse. I started using virtual assistants, and I started um, working less and working smarter. And I started sourcing 100% from China. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like. I think that's a good lesson, basically keeping the costs low and not having a fixed overhead. Exactly. I worked on Wall Street and I worked on distressed debt or junk bonds. Okay, yeah. And it was always the airlines, anything with these fixed high costs, so then when the trends go down in like seasonality or the economy, but their fixed cost stays the same, mm -hmm. that's when they get crushed. Yeah, you can't, you can't support the overhead. Yeah. yeah you're just not, you don't make enough to cover it eventually. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so we haven't talked much about Amazon. Obviously, eBay was the top. I remember selling on Amazon in 2000 and maybe five or six, and I had no idea what I was doing there, but it was only 10%, I think, max. I was mostly web. I had my shopping cart, and I had eBay was my main sales. Yep, yep. Then, so, so now everything is Amazon, right? eBay, is eBay even still relevant? It is, it is, it is. It's, eBay is a great market for used products for, um, it's still good for, for new products, but it's really, um, it's still there. It's not the, the, the giant anymore. It used to be 25% of e-commerce, it's not. You know, Amazon took the, the, the lion's share of that market. But um, we always said back in the day, when, okay, so when Am Amazon came, said, hey, we're gonna build a third-party marketplace, they came to my organization, PISA, Professional eBay Sellers Alliance, and wanted to start, because we had all the large eBay sellers. Uh -huh. So they targeted all of our people, and me being a board of directors, we kind of had first right to, to get into the market. So myself and some of my friends were some of the first third-party sellers, outside of booksellers. And um, so we got to go in early, and it was kind of fun, because we got to feel the giant, you know, what what happens when you sell on Amazon versus eBay. And what we discovered was eBay, we say, is a mile wide and an inch deep, meaning you have to have a wide catalog of products and you're only going to sell one or twos of each. 
because of the way the search yeah, worked back then. Yeah, I had so many SKUs. Yeah, and you couldn't search deep. I mean, and so in Amazon's the opposite, where it's an, um, an inch deep or an inch wide and a mile deep. You're yeah. not going to be successful with a large catalog back then. You're going to sell the same item a thousand times. Yeah. And so, and eBay was so frustrated with that. We actually had a lot of meetings with their management saying, hey, why? You know, they're trying to figure out why that is. You know, and it was really search. Search mm -hmm. was just so much different between the two marketplaces. And so you could sell, now you could sell the same item a thousand times, which you couldn't do on eBay. Make me think of my first e-commerce. I did bar supplies and I, I got out too early. Everybody says I, uh, I got burned out because I had 250 SKUs and I was constantly out of stock on this one or that one. And then I would try to buy from China. But then if you sell out of one and you don't want to buy more of the ones you already have, but then you know, it was just like balancing that inventory. Whack-a-mole, yeah. really. Yeah. So a lot of my friend says you got to do the 80-20, you got to drop. Yep. 80% and keep 20%. I didn't really make that move, and then I sold my, I don't know if I should say this publicly, because you can't really sell an eBay account, but I sold my eBay account. Yeah, you can, actually, if it's a, if it's a corporation. Oh, okay. Yeah, they'd allow it. Uh, so I made sure. I made sure I asked. I sold it, and then I sold my website to somebody else and my network. I remember nobody was buying e-commerce businesses. No, not back nobody. then. Nobody. It was, like, worth nothing. Mm -hmm. They're like... Everybody was trying to buy uh, AdSense, Google AdSense sites or uh, affiliate sites. I'm like... I'd say I, somebody tried to offer me a lo really low number, and I said, I made more since I put the listing on Flippa than your offer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, nobody wanted inventory businesses. Yeah, they didn't see the they, – they were worried that there was no long-term revenue stream. Yeah. If because things change so much so fast. And now it's the other way around. It seems like everybody wants Amazon. Well, it's also a lot, like you said, it's a lot more – it's a catalog, right? I think the big difference between eBay and Amazon is Amazon is a catalog. Mm -hmm. and it is. That's a big, big difference. eBay was, we was like Octiva and we could make our own listings and it was not at all. The, the buyer had to check the terms, the returns. They had to read the product description clearly. And um, so it's just a lot, a lot different. But by, what do you, what do you say now? I guess we're getting towards the, you know, we'll have a couple more questions. We're getting towards the end. Just give you a heads up. But new sellers now i mean what what's the what's their mindsets what do you think they should be doing yeah i mean this is difficult so i you know as i said now it's just flipped from being a demand um constrained supply rich environment that's just times 10 now even mm -hmm. more so than before so instead of having three people selling for one customer you have 20 or 50 people selling for that one customer so amazon build all these warehouses it's stocked full of this, all this inventory and amazon's the one that wins kind of yeah. right they have the 50 items for that yeah. one customer and price and they're drop. charging every they're charging the seller everything to hold it to handle it to sell it to ship it and so um it's just it's just that much harder you have it to stand out in a bigger crowd a louder crowd and so i told i always tell people you have to have a brand you have to have something that you bring to the to the table you have to be the magic's formula in your business and that's um, you know, you have to have some kind of special knowledge, special interest, special passion, and you have to bring that to the surface. I mean, bright and clear that people can understand that this person really is in love with this product and they, I should buy from them. Yeah. And it can be a simple product. It can be, you know, rocks. It can be toothbrushes. You, can, you just got to be passionate about what you sell and it has to show. You know, and I'm passionate about e-commerce and people can see that when they talk to me and sure. they can realize, oh, this guy, you know, he loves this industry. And um, with, my, with my DVD players, Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a father. I was taking my kids on vacations. I, I wanted to have them entertained, and that's who I sold to. I sold to parents who had kids going on a vacation. And so I related to my customers, but I also put myself in every single package by video recording myself okay. how to use my product, how to install it. 
Nice. So they had a two-hour DVD in every one of my boxes. So I bundled myself into my package, and nobody could copy that. Great. And that's the magic sauce that I used. I, I'm going to try to tell people to listen to at least that clip because nobody listens to me. I always <laughs> say you need to like use your personal brand, use your personality. Mm -hmm. But a lot of sellers, I guess, they 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 want the, the product. They don't want people to buy them. They want to separate themselves from the product. They want the people to buy the product. They don't want to be connected to the product. Yep. I used to be that way with my first business. It was a business. It's we, 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 us, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, you feel like you're some bigwig that way, right? It, you boost your ego. Yeah. But I was like, no, this time it's me. You're buying from me. You know, even though I might have a third-party warehouse, I might have, you know, a VAs doing work for me and answering for me, it's me you're buying from. And that's me you're selling, I'm selling to you. So you can trust me. Yeah. Because people can't trust, people don't trust companies very often, but they trust people. I guess... Um, so the other, the other, pro I know what listeners are thinking. I want to sell my, flip my business. I want to sell my business. If I put myself on a DVD, it's not as sellable. Is that? You I have guess, to build a, a very, you have to build a big business that's profitable, sustainable, and has longevity. If you don't do that, nobody's going to buy your business anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, that the easiest or best approach to build a, long, uh, a business that will last is to have a brand, passion, a market, you know, and to, I think you have to put yourself into the formula. I mm -hmm. would say you're, you're never going to even be sellable unless you, you know, for the most part. People are going to look through it and say, oh, this thing could, could, could disappear tomorrow. True due to, um, you know, changes market. market. You know, somebody else can go to that same factory you're buying from, buy the same product, undercut you, better market you, whatever. And so, you know, if, if you don't have some kind of, something to defend yourself, then you're, you know, you're, you're not gonna build a business people are gonna wanna buy anyway. That's my thing, awesome. that's my opinion. Okay, great, I like yeah, it, yeah. I like it. And, yeah, I think let's, let's you know, there, Gonna probably kick us out of here soon, and we got a networking event in about 15 minutes. So I, I think we got a great interview here. Um, let's talk about what you're working on now. So backtrack, back-track.com. Yep. Is is return? It's helping sellers with returns. Yep. Yep. So my my existing business with the DVD players, I found out I can't return them to the factory anymore. I used to return them to the factories to get repaired, customer sure. returns. So I found um, somebody locally to do my repairs for me and they did very good. So what I discovered is my problem, everybody else has the same problem. The sellers who are, the China, you know, usually the Chinese sellers who send their electronics to Amazon's FBA, mm -hmm. they get customer returns, they can't send it back to the factory anymore to get repaired. So, it, and customer returns are anywhere from 20 to 30% online and okay. depend on the product. And so there's, there's this $30 billion market right now yeah. on Amazon, just in the US of customer returns that aren't really getting taken care of very well in most cases. And so Backtrack, which is back-track.com, mm -hmm. what we do is we actually are a service company for these Chinese Amazon sellers and also domestic U.S. sellers. And we take their customer returns, put them in our shop, and then we reprocess them by renewing them, repairing them, reboxing them. Okay. And then allow them to resell them as refurbished okay. back on Amazon, or we actually can sell them for the seller on our, our websites and marketplaces. Okay, awesome. And recover the loss. Yeah, I mean, I also agree. I think I think a lot of sellers, especially Chinese sellers, just say refund, just give them the money back. Mm -hmm. They don't want to deal with it, just, just give them the money back, which is 
I think buyers are learning this, right? <laughs> so Yeah, it really depends on your average price, of course, you know, and what you're losing. And everybody thinks it's the cost of doing business because that's what everyone, that's what Amazon wants them to think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, um, but there are sellers out there with higher dollar stuff, um, and they don't say, just refund them. They say, why in the heck am I getting all these refunds or these returns? And this is ridiculous, and this is killing my business, and it yeah. does. Yeah. A lot of people go out of business because of customer returns. They just don't realize it because they yeah. don't track it. And so I'm trying to help companies save their company and recover the lost value of, you know, it's a cost of doing business. It really isn't. It's, they have to do a better job, whether it's avoiding the return or taking care of it and recovering the value from the returns. And that's what we do. I mean, we've done about a half a million dollars worth of product just in the last few months Great. of recovery. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's a dollar lost is a dollar saved, right? Or, yeah. you know, same thing. You know, a dollar recovered is a dollar earned. Okay. So it, it does add up quickly. All right. So... I guess people interested in talking about this or learning more, go to back-track.com. It's the best place. Yep, that's the best place, and they can always reach out to us. Okay, thanks so much, Brandon, for sharing. Hey, I appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Okay. Are you looking to get your money in or out of Hong Kong? GoRemit.hk is a cross-border payment company with us for a couple of years now as one of our pillar sponsors. Simon and the others are amazing people, and I use them myself to pay people in China, pay people in Southeast Asia, such as Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, and more, and my wife. <laughs> so if you're interested in a cross-border payment solution for your Hong Kong-based business, check out www.goremit.hk. Okay, thank you, Brandon, for sharing. Um, I always love meeting eBay sellers from back in the day. I mean, eBay used to be what Amazon is now, and Amazon totally crushed them. I think I think eBay's even suing Amazon for taking eBay sellers onto Amazon. It's a uh, crazy days, but we have all been through a lot. I think e-commerce is all about listening to the market, to the trends, and uh, doing whatever it takes to become a uh, gladiator in the arena. Book has been doing okay. Thanks for those that have supported it and given me good feedback or constructive feedback. Also, I said I would say in this blah 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 section with my experience on eBay, how I started on e on the web. I remember I got sucked into buying a uh, stores online package, not knowing what I would sell. Just figured I could drop ship. Um, did drop ship some stuff, but I found these bar products that weren't doing that good on eBay and there was a lot of demand at least I could see some demand and I started selling stuff I didn't even have I was living in New York City listing about I think it was 500 or 300 SKUs on Amazon I mean on eBay and not even knowing what they were or I mean didn't even know how to get them to the customer because they wouldn't this wholesaler in Florida wouldn't drop ship so he let me be a wholesaler because I had a business license and a reseller permit, and I shared all of that to him. And then I was second day. When I just said, hey, I'll just second day air it to my apartment in New York, and then second day air it to the customer, and I put on my eBay shipping and policies. It would be five to seven business days to receive the, the goods, right? Because on eBay, you could just tell the customer on the listing your shipping terms and time. So I would uh, I would do that. I list all these products I didn't have. I couldn't even drop ship them, and uh, and sold them. And then I I was uh, really stressed out. My roommate and my best friend Andrew would uh, they thought I was crazy, but went along with it. We were 50-50 partners, and 
everybody thought it was crazy because we're losing money on sales. But I said this is research and development. This is figuring out an opportunity of which products to sell that are here. You know, what to actually uh, focus on. So we dropped half the products we didn't even need. You know, uh, we just dropped them. And then I did wholesale them and basically uh, filled my walk up, made a relationship with Juan. I think his name is Juan, the shoe shining guy downstairs in my walk-up apartment on 24th Street, East 24th Street in Manhattan, and and hustled, got to UPS stores, started using fraternity house, friends' basements, self-storage, Third learned what third-party fulfillment. It was just from my old professor in college, adjunct professor, he, just totally hustling, not knowing what you're doing, but I think that's, I don't know if I f- really recommend that, but... I think it's important to just take action, not wait for all the answers. This, this, I've been learning what Jeff Bezos says in his decision making. What he says: if you have seventy or eighty percent of the information you need to make a fold of to make a decision, you've waited too long. You won't have all the information in order to move forward. So, while I maybe lost a lot of money and lost a lot of sleep, I don't. It's an investment, you know, investment in yourself and your education. And to make action and make things happen to grow and to scale or get things to the next level, to the next stage, push the ball forward on the court, you got to take action and not know, wait until everybody knows all the answers because then there's no opportunity in the marketplace. So I hope that helped. I'm about to go get some, uh, I think some kind of hot pot dinner with these startups at the Mox Accelerator, which is pretty cool. It's the second or third time now to Taipei. It's cold. I had to borrow a jacket. It's freezing cold here. But that's, I'll meet some other e-commerce people here. And it's just about grinding and, and hustling and making, you know, I, I love making content. That's kind of my addiction. But I do hope you um, enjoyed this interview and my little shorter blah, blah, blah section. But that's that's how I learned. And then I got third-party fulfillment filled up a u-haul truck went to upstate new york for the logistics center with andrew and george on a weekend three-day weekend i remember and we were just so excited we were business expensing stuff having no idea what we were doing figured out how to get into a third-party warehouse figured out alibaba sort of global sources searching and then you know did that for I mean, I was like, you know, 2003, 4, 5, 6, 6, you know, I think 6 was when I was starting to consider leaving. Um, but then not until 2007 is when I left. I uh, went to California for a little while and ended up in China. And then got into Bloomberg. I don't know if we should also link up the Bloomberg article and the podcast if you didn't listen. I'm talking about me being stuck in this trade war nightmare. Which is the reality. I was thinking a lot of you guys are girls, you know, in, in this trade war. Just We're just hustlers trying to make a dollar out of night, you know, just trying to make a dollar out of a couple cents, you know. And uh, we're stuck in the middle of this trade war now. But I remember my parents didn't really support or weren't so happy about me going to China. But that's where the trend was going. I'm just a small e-commerce seller trying to make something happen. And uh, I knew I had to go there. All right, I got to go. Hot pot time. See you later. 
To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.